you hear a knock on the door and open it to find two friendly representatives from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as the Mormon Church. So what will you say? Will you send them away without a Christian witness? Or will you engage them in a meaningful and Christ-honoring conversation? If you desire the latter, may we suggest the book, Answering Mormon's Questions, by Mormonism Research Ministries' Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson. Answering Mormon's Questions is available wherever you find quality Christian books. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Do evangelical pastors with huge congregations make literally millions of dollars? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. This week, we've been looking at an email that was sent to us at Mormonism Research Ministry. It's an email by a member of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who is not too happy with something that Eric had said in an article that this person apparently came across, an article that deals with a sermon that was given by a Mormon apostle, Jeffrey R. Holland, titled, Tomorrow the Lord Will Do Wonders Among You. In that talk, Jeffrey Holland gave the expression that members of the church get credit for trying. And naturally, that's a phrase that really struck a chord with us because that certainly is not what other leaders have said about trying. So, Eric, you decided to take Jeffrey Holland to task on some of the things that he said. Well, this individual thought that that was unfair because really what Jeffrey Holland was trying to do in that talk was to encourage Latter-day Saints to better themselves. And that's not an unusual theme if you ever listen to General Conference, which is held twice a year in downtown Salt Lake City. But I think there were some accusations that were made in this email sent to us that are just not fair and they're just not accurate. The main theme throughout his email was, why? Why are we doing this? And so we're trying to explain, by using this email as a template, why we do what we do. He brings up this idea of a paid ministry. I don't believe you mentioned anything about that in your article. Maybe he's read something else because we do have something on that subject at mrm.org. But he says, most knowledgeable members of the church understand that the full-time general authorities are paid as they should be. Now, first of all, let me challenge that statement. Most of the Latter-day Saints that we've talked to never say anything like that. Most of them insist that their leaders do not get paid. Now, when we challenge them a little bit further on this, sometimes they will back off and say, well, yeah, you're right. They do get a stipend but they don't get a salary. Do you see what was just done here, folks? Now we're going to deal with semantics. I'm not going to call it what you call it. I'm going to call it what I want to call it. And the fact is, though, we know that the LDS leadership that work downtown, this would be the general authorities like the First Presidency, which is the top three leaders of the church, the Quorum of the Twelve, which is the Twelve Apostles, and the First Quorum of the Seventy, most certainly do receive payment for their services. They work full-time for the church. 
We personally don't have a problem with that. I don't care personally if you give them a million dollars a year. That's up to you. And if members don't have a problem with that, that's their business. The problem we have is when the church leaders themselves, such as Thomas Monson, who said that they don't have a paid clergy, that just is not true. They most certainly do. Now, on a local level, yes, many of those members who lead local congregations, such as the bishop and so forth, they are are not paid. We do recognize that. Do you remember about nine years ago, Bill, when a document came out that helped us to see how much mission presidents actually made? And we talked about that in radio shows. Uh, we wrote an article that's on our website. If you want to go to mrm.org slash mission president handbook with hyphens between mission president handbook. What we found by using their figures a typical United States mission president would be making well over six figures, $100,000 plus a year. And I think a lot of Latter-day Saints were surprised by that because that document did get leaked. We were able to use that to show, well, not all of them are volunteers. True. But this gentleman goes on to say after he admits that his general authorities are paid, as they should be, he says, not to be confused with many evangelical pastors with huge congregation making literally millions. Now, when I read that, it's not like I've never heard that before. I, I, it's not normal that they will say it quite the way this individual does. But when I read that, I thought, first of all, how many pastors that we have, let's say, serving in rural communities with small congregations that are probably working a full-time job as well as pastoring? Now, I know he qualifies it with huge congregation and says making literally millions. If you go to, for instance, a, a website that's called salary.com, they'll tell you that the average salary of pastors is around 102,000. It goes from around 84,000 to about, I think they said 112, 116,000. In today's economy, I don't think most people would think that that is overly exorbitant. If you've ever really watched what a serious pastor does in the course of a week, you're going to say that that's probably well earned. Now, certainly when you're trying to imply that your leaders get nothing, that certainly is a disparity, but there's nothing unbiblical when you read the New Testament, especially when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul doesn't seem to have a problem with a paid ministry. The whole ministry of the Old Testament was a paid ministry. I like how he says most knowledgeable members of the church, because as you say, Bill, we have talked to a lot of Latter-day Saints who don't know, and I guess those are the least knowledgeable members of the church. But if you take a look at Franklin D. Richards in a conference report from October 1968, this is General Conference, page 113, he said one of the most important and distinguishing features of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is that the affairs are administered by the lay members of the church rather than by paid clergy. That's just not true. Yeah, unless, of course, Mr. Richards is trying to distinguish that the people who are running the church who do get paid are not really administering the affairs of the church. It's, you could take that statement in a number of different ways. But this writer, his name is Mark, goes on to say, I am often suspicious of those so critical of the above-noted church, that would be his church, that maybe it has little to do with doctrine or with nearly anything else. But maybe, just maybe, it is the loss of revenue when former members join the church. 
that, quote, livelihood for a pastor is lost. Now, first of all, this is certainly meant to be a dig at us, and maybe that we hold to this view that whenever we see an individual or maybe a family leave an evangelical church and join the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that we stand there and just raise our hands in frustration and go, yeah, there goes a whole lot of revenue. I can't even imagine anybody thinking that. I would guarantee you that the greatest concern that that pastor would probably have when he sees something like that happen is a grieving for those people that are going off into an organization that certainly does not have a biblical basis. If that pastor is worth his salt, I'm sure that's the main concern on his heart. And this was just meant to be a pejorative and meant to be an accusation, and a false one if you ask me. Then this individual goes on to give us a list of the things that he believes. He says, I believe fully in the atonement of Christ for our sins. I believe that I'm responsible for my faith in that act and in him, speaking of Jesus as his Redeemer. He says, I believe that we are saved and exalted after all we can do by his grace. Now, that is certainly a teaching of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that saved by grace after all you can do expression comes from 2 Nephi 25-23 in the Book of Mormon. We certainly have a problem with the way that is worded. We have articles on that if you go to mrm.org. But then when he goes on to say, let me explain, as the Book of Mormon helps us understand that doctrine— that doctrine being what he said in the previous sentence, this idea of being saved and exalted after all we can do by his grace. He says, all we can do is defined as repenting of our sins. And then he says, read Alma 24. Well, that's not exactly true. There has been much written about that expression that a Latter-day Saint is saved by grace after all they can do. Certainly, it's not excluding repentance of an individual's sin, but it's also about keeping commandments. And of course, we would have a problem with that. We certainly do believe that a true believer will have good works, that they should be living a holy life that gives glory to the one who saved them, but it's not those good works that justify them before God. There are a number of statements that have been made by members of the church. I'll give you one. Boyd Packer, he was a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. Back in November of 1995, the Ensign Magazine, signing one of his conference messages titled The Brilliant Morning of Forgiveness, said very clearly, even that grace of God promised in the scriptures comes only after all we can do. So it's not given freely. You must do something in order to get this necessary grace that will eventually forgive you if you are a Latter-day Saint. In recent years, we've heard Latter-day Saints say that 2 Nephi 25-23 is saying you're saved by grace in spite of all you can do. And that's certainly not taught, as you just made a reference to a quote, and there are many others. Let me just add this to what you said, Eric. I'm reading from the True to the Faith manual. It's called True to the Faith, a Gospel Reference. It was published by the Church in 2004, and I'm citing from page 77. Through grace made available by the Savior's atoning sacrifice, all people will be resurrected and receive immortality. 
but resurrection alone does not qualify us for eternal life in the presence of God. And remember, this individual says, I believe that we are saved and exalted, exalted, a term in Mormonism that is synonymous with Godhood. And this statement goes on to say, Our sins make us unclean and unfit to dwell in God's presence, and we need his grace to purify and perfect us after all we can do, citing 2 Nephi 25.23. It goes on to say, The phrase, after all we can do, teaches that effort is required on our part to receive the fullness of the Lord's grace and be made worthy to dwell with him. So you can see that you're saved by grace after all you can do means much more than a mere repentance or a a heartfelt contrition for the sins that you have committed. And in the context of Mormonism, it goes on to, to mean that you were never to repeat those sins again. Otherwise, you were never truly repentant. Commandments are absolutely essential in LDS doctrine if a Latter-day Saint hopes to get the best his religion has for him. But then this individual goes on to say, I respect your faith. Please respect mine. Now, when I hear Latter-day Saints say that, I have to wonder, do they really respect my faith? Because obviously he's objecting to how I am working out my faith in challenging Latter-day Saints to believe things that I see to be in error. In tomorrow's show, I'm going to explain some of my response to this individual and the objections that I had regarding his email to us. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.